0: Uh, I mean, I, I, I sat here last week and had faith in Jim Harbaugh. I'm, I'm a man of faith, Stephen A. <laughs> this was misguided. Uh, I, I don't see what he is going to be able to do to, to beat a really good team. He mm-hmm. might beat some of the, the average teams on his schedule. But, but how is he going to be at a Notre Dame, uh, win at a Penn State or, or Ohio State? I, I, I've seen no imagination. I've seen regression. In this program, I've seen stubbornness and and, and quite frankly, I think Jim Harbaugh as an elite coach is a total fraud and charade. He no longer has that ability. And and I, I am going to quit trying to prop him up just because he was once good. He no longer is elite. He is. He's he's better than a lot of people but he's not, he's not in the same league as, as Dabo Sweeney and, and, and obviously Nick Saban and, and some of the
1: better coaches. In the hey, league. what is up, everybody? This is Tony in the field. It is Monday, November 2nd, already in November, and the Pac-12 has yet to play a college football game, but that will happen in just five days from now on Saturday as we are fired up for that here as we're a West Coast podcast. I'm the field, a.k.a. Preston Highfield, coming to you from Portland, Oregon. He's Tony, a.k.a. Big Tony, Anthony Piganelli, holding it down in the Bay Area. Coming up on the podcast, chaos in college football, one of the craziest college football weekends in a long time, Halloween during the pandemic, and it got crazy on the college football field. We will break down a ton of different games, including Michigan's home loss to lowly Michigan State, what that means for Harbaugh and the future of Michigan football. You know Big Tony will have a Harbaugh rant in there for you folks. I'll give you some picks and my take on the college football weekend in the past. Plus, we'll give you a, a quick sneak peek on what's to come for the Pac-12. We're going to launch a, a Pac-12 preview podcast later in the week, but we'll give you a quick taste of our Pac-12 thoughts, plus some NFL takes quickly, a, po- a political take, or at least a political uh, notice from Big Tony. We'll have worse take featuring... Colin Cowherd and Joel Clatt. and at the end we're going to do a little life advice segment Um, we didn't have anyone write in we didn't request anyone to write in or tweet in but we just have a couple couple life hacks we want to share with you guys at the end of the podcast Uh, Tony you crafted this outline thanks for doing so and what's going on my man
0: I can't wait. I've been thinking about this one since the end of Saturday. Just a lot of bizarre and fraudulent college football games that occurred over the weekend. Halloween, it must have been something in the air. Just all sorts of spooky results and bad beats. And then some other notes that I know we really wanted to hit on with the NFL, the life advice and a couple of other random segments. Really quickly, though, Chief, it's great to be back on the show. And it's even better to look forward to a weekend weekend where there's a, a big thing going on on Saturday. You got any idea what's what's going to happen, what's going to return this weekend?
1: Pac-12 after dark featuring Oregon State and Washington State, but more notably the Ducks in primetime, if that's where you're going.
0: There you go. The Pac-12 football season is resuming, folks, as Chief alluded to off the top. This Saturday we are kicking things off with Arizona State at number 20 USC, 9 a.m., and if that's going to kick at 9 a.m., Chief, you know what's coming out at 8.30? Satan? Half an hour before kick of the opener for the Pac-12 season, folks, you can best believe there's probably going to be a Kanzano article sl- sl- slandering Larry Scott.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's deep and true, I'm sure. And if it's not an original article, it'll be at least a, 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 <laughs> a, a, a tweet with slander and defamatory takes against the commissioner. And it will probably be him quote-tweeting John (laughs) Wilner. All jokes aside, man, we're happy the Pac-12 is back. Let's let's hop into this outline, Chief. Let us do it. So we're going to start with college football on the weekend that was. Glad we could get to this on a Monday while the college football weekend two days ago is still fresh in our mind. Michigan's defense made Rocky Lombardi look like Rocky Balboa as the Spartans swaggered in to the big house with all that grease, the Fox aerial cameras, of course, no crowd, but Fox aerial cameras, the big house, the tradition, the maize and blue fresh off a (laughs) dominant victory over Minnesota (laughs) <laughs> and Rocky Lombardi turned into Rocky Balboa. 323 passing yards, a career high for Rocky Lombardi, and three passing touchdowns, a career high. And, and Big Tony, we'll get to the Harbaugh stuff in a second, and that's probably where you'll start. Watching this game, it, it didn't feel like an upset. Like, I watched the whole game. Michigan State wasn't, like, getting really lucky breaks or didn't have, like, crazy scooping scores or punt return touchdowns or you know, pick sixes. I They just looked like the better team against Michigan. Like this wasn't a, this wasn't like a hoax or, you know, every now and then you can chalk up a game such as Boston College Clemson where there was a 99-yard scoop and score for BC. It was a 14-point swing. That's what really kept them in the game. Obviously be, uh, Clemson playing without Lawrence too. This game, Michigan, Michigan State, a rivalry game. With Michigan getting greased up, freshed off a nationally televised win over Minnesota, and that's probably what led to all the grease. Is Joe Milton's a massive quarterback? Michigan was looking fresh, and they're all whites with the maize and blue Wolverine helmets, and they beat Minnesota by you know twenty four or whatever it was. And then they 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 open their home slate by losing twenty seven twenty four to lowly Michigan State, who had just gotten blown out, and I mean blown out at home by Rutgers the previous week. Where did that game land with you?
0: It was bizarre. It, you're right. Michigan State was the better team. I had to watch. I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to watch the full game. I had to watch highlights multiple times over just to kind of comprehend what occurred. Rocky Lombardi is a below average to terrible quarterback. He's your typical Big Ten cold weather. Stiff quarterback that can't move can't really throw a ball further than five yards yet he threw for 300 plus against that vaunted michigan defense but i thought this was going to be the best michigan team of harbaugh's career i thought that they they win one game over minnesota and all of a sudden they're headed to the title game what happened they didn't even get it wasn't like they 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 showed up against ohio state this week they didn't even make it to the meat of their schedule it's week two and Michigan State goes into their backyard and takes them to the shed? Gives them a login What the hell was that, man? That wh- Okay, wh- when that game was over, I knew that Saturday was going to be weird. And it was. But that was the start of a, of a bizarre Halloween Saturday in college football. And even though I hate Michigan and I hate Harbaugh, and I obviously wanted them to lose, I couldn't believe that they lost that game. I think they were like 20-point favorites, too. Just truly unexplainable.
1: It really was, you know, Mel Tucker after he left Colorado after one season for, for the for the check, he sold out. Right, he got he got a five million dollar a year a year deal with, with Michigan State in there in East Lansing. Started off with a two touchdown loss to Rutgers, and you thought, Oh my gosh, what a mistake they've made. In addition to D'Antonio kind of leaving the cupboard bare on his way out the door uh with that stiff offense as you alluded to Rocky Lombardi just kind of rifling slant routes and hoping it works um what does this win for Michigan State or actually the, no the the story here is 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 obviously the the Michigan loss what does this loss do for Harbaugh's time at Michigan for the fan base cuz if that if that Michigan fan base is as rabid as we've been told it is. They're probably calling for his head. I mean, that's an unexplainable, unacceptable loss after years of, of above-average but still mediocre to above-average play from a guy who's getting paid $9 million a year. Um, Harbaugh, once upon a time, was the, was the toast of college football and even the toast of the NFL for a season or two. But his brand is getting a little stale in Ann Arbor, is it not? This is going to be a
0: long-winded response. I've been thinking about this since the moment they lost on Saturday, and I even wrote out a giant paragraph here about how I'm going to tear fraud a new one. I've always been an anti-Harbaugh guy. I've always thought he was a fraud, talked a lot of shit, never really backed it up, had some good seasons in the NFL, hasn't done anything at Michigan that has been on par with his salary, his brand the expenses or the amount of shit that he's talked. But here we go. Let me just dive into this. I have let me off the top I have one question for you chief for all of our listeners, for all Michigan fans, for everyone that watches college football, I have one question. What's the excuse going to be this year? What's it going to be? Because Harfrod took over in 2015, right? This is year 6 for him. What's the excuse? It cannot be that he doesn't have his guys anymore. This is his team. It's been that way since 1617 all right in this six-year tenure our fraud is now 0 and five against ohio state and three and three versus michigan state that's just not going to cut it chief he's making eight million dollars this year he is the fourth highest paid head coach in college football and he is nowhere near the fourth best coach nor is michigan anywhere close to the fourth best team pathetic man and every year harbaugh talks like i said A ton of shit, spends a ton of money recruiting and in other football operations areas, and he has nothing to show for it. He's never beaten Ohio State. He's never gone to the college football playoff. He's never won the conference title. He's never even won the division, and he never takes accountability. It's the same lame-ass excuse every Saturday, and we've talked about this before, Chief. This Saturday, he was talking about how it's in the past. We can only focus on next weekend. Quote, same approach, same mindset, end, end quote. I'm sick of this dude, man. Get this guy off the TV unless he's doing the big noon kickoff with Urban Meyer. The good people in Ann Arbor deserve better. College
1: football deserves better than Jim Harfrod. Big Tony's rant on Harbaugh, folks. Let us know what you thought. I thought that was a good one. I thought that was a really good one. And you've been on this for a while, so I gotta give you credit. Like I was telling you before the show, I I was such an anti Ohio State guy from the Zach Smith stuff to the slippery Zeke Elliott stuff to the very slippery Terrell Pryor days and the Jim Trestle days. It, Ohio State's an athletic department that that lacked institutional control, to to use an NCAA uh, term. And I've been so anti-Ohio State for so long that when Harbaugh showed up to Michigan and started shit talking before he even played games or coached games, I was cracking up. And I was like, hold on a second. I actually like this guy. Not only was he obviously dominant at Stanford and when he went for two against USC and Pete Carroll when they were up 20-something and then shouldered him after the game and Pete Carroll did the what's your deal, man. I thought that was funny. I was all for it. And I was all for Harbaugh coming to Michigan, particularly because I wanted to see him compete against Satan. And they almost beat Satan one year, if not for a, a, a sketchy, sketchy JT Barrett spot on a fourth down QB power up the middle, at the shoe. But they didn't. And now, now once you talk all that talk over the years and then don't back it up, that's when it does get sketchy. Because before this, he'd made a Super Bowl, a couple good seasons in the NFL, was amazing at Stanford. So he had the right to come in with a, with a swagger, But now the fact that he hasn't backed it up for about five or six years, if you're a Jim Harbaugh apologist, you just there's there's you got no ammo left. Like at this point, you got to just concede that he just has not gotten it done.
0: Yeah. And the argument is no longer. Well, who you know, who are you going to to bring in to replace him? What about, you know, Michigan before he got there? Look at all the wins he has against weak teams. The guy is making $8 million this year. Next year, he's going to make $10 million. He's the fourth highest paid head coach in college football. Again, where's the accountability? He's nowhere God, Mario, near delivering. Mario
1: Cristobal only makes like two mil. How does Harbaugh make four times that?
0: My point is he's not delivering anywhere close to that compensation and the amount of shit that he's talking. He wants to hold everyone else accountable. Why isn't Harbaugh held accountable? If you're not even close... To making the conference title game, dude, you can forget about the college football playoff. This guy hasn't even won the division in his six years that he's been there. There's as you said, there's nothing left, man. There is no defending Harbaugh this year. The excuses have run out. The apologies have run out. You know they're gonna lose to Ohio State this year. You can just already chalk that one up as a big fat L. They'll probably lose at least one other game. It's a wrap, man. And his contract ends next year. If I'm Michigan unless this guy is working for 15 an hour I don't want him back in the locker room so what does Michigan do either pay day? him way less or find someone else right you're not gonna pay him 10 million dollars to not even make the conference title game are you
1: hell no I would say hell no but who but you gotta you gotta you gotta try to bring someone better in um obviously urban's not gonna go there um i'm trying to think i should have done some more research on this but i'll 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 get back with with michigan coaching candidates maybe that could be a future segment (laughs) we we could definitely talk about that for the future but for now the the storyline is that his
0: his leash is up man there's no defending him anymore
1: Let's move on to LSU, who took a 48-11 to L on the Plains this weekend at Jordan-Hare. No miracle at Jordan-Hare necessary. Bo Nix, I mean, had by far the best game of his career. He had almost 400 total yards, 300-plus passing, 81 rushing, and four total touchdowns in this one. They made Bo Nix look like the five-star Bo Nix that, that folks were seeing in his high school days and, and hyped about on the Plains down there in Auburn. LSU's defense gave up 623 passing yards and five passing touchdowns to KJ Costello in the opener. And then they gave up that game to Bo Nix. And I know they're playing a backup quarterback, TJ Finley, who looked really good against South Carolina and then looked down downright terrible against LSU. And here's the thing, I watched that entire first half um and some of the third quarter and then it became a blowout it, it's not like it's not like auburn was actually dominating offensively and uh, they had a scoop and score touchdown in the first half like their second touchdown of the game and then lsu starter kept throwing picks and one was like a pick almost six like it, where the offense gets credit for the touchdown i think bo Nix threw like a, a short pass for a t- touchdown but it was really like a pick down all the way back inside the five basically a pick six um so it's not like it's not like Auburn's offense dominated until the second half when he got completely out of control. But AP, I know your take is is Coach Doe is a bit of a fraud, and I'll get to the or I'll let you get to that in a second. My big take is obviously their offense this game was terrible, but if you look at their offense the rest of the season when they've had Miles Brennan and even that first TJ Finley game, their offense has been really good. Their defense has been downright atrocious, and behind that is Bo Pellini. Bo Pelini is their new D.C. He's back in the game. And he is the face of a soiled unit. LSU's defense. <laughs> Bo Pelini is absolutely soiled.
0: That, def- that defense was elite when Aranda was there, man. That's why they were paying him so much money. Pelini and overnight. Gets in there, and it looks soiled. like passing league. Overnight.
1: Pelini- Honestly, this. Just- <laughs> Pallini soiled it, it. That's like... why they were paying Dave Aranda three million a year, and then overnight, that unit went from plain white to completely soiled.
0: Doesn't it look like a seven-on-seven seven camp whenever LSU was on defense? Now other I mean, teams Bo are just Nicks torching them. Like
1: Bo Nix looked like a JV quarterback against Georgia, like literally, like he wasn't a D1 quarterback, and then he looked like a Heisman. Candidate against LSU—that just cannot happen.
0: Yeah, I believe <laughs> Bo Pelini, as you said, he, so- he soiled that defense. But I—I w- I gotta say, I- I- I'm two for two now on takes that I had last week that have come to fruition again this week. I stood strong on the Harbaugh as a fraud take; couldn't have been proved more right this weekend. And I'm standing strong on my Coach O is the new Chiswick take. This is a very Gene Chiswick like season for Coach O Chief. No more Joe Brady to guide you through. No more Aranda. No more, no more Joe Burrow, who is essentially Cam Newton, way better than Cam Newton statistically last year, and then first-round picks at every single position. Now Coach O actually asked the coach, and he looks like Gene Chiswick. We need, we need an intern so we can look at the research on Chiswick's record after that national championship game. I know it was a losing record. I know it was atrocious. But come yeah, on, won, man, like Coach, coach O without, yeah, it was like three games, and then I think he was randomly like an O coordinator somewhere. God bless that guy. The worst coach to ever win a national championship. But Coach O ain't coming close to another national championship, man. Joe Brady's not walking through that door. Joe Burrow's not walking through that door, and Aranda's probably not coming back as the DC. He's got to deal with with Pelini.
1: Costello's passing yardage in his first game since moving from Silicon Valley to Starkville, Mississippi, eclipsed the 544 yards Georgia's Eric Zire had against Southern Mississippi in 1993 to set the SEC conference record. LSU's defense and then? is officially soiled. Um, now, speaking of Mississippi State, Big Tony. Uh, again, folks, Big Tony made the outline, and we all know one of his favorite things to do is to call out fraudulent coaches. Where is Mike Leach land in, in that category right now? Well, they had the monster week one,
0: and then ever since, I can't help but look at this team and just see something is desperately wrong. Has Mike Leach soiled that program? And I mean that sincerely. I, I, I joke around. We joke around on this podcast a lot, but They can't move the ball anymore. And teams are rushing three guys on them and they still can't move the ball. And they're getting sacked from three men rushes. You mean to tell me that the SEC figured out that offense in one game's worth of tape? So, two questions for you. One, has Mike Leach completely soiled that program? And then two, what does all of this say about the Pac 12's defenses over the years where Leach was able to torch those teams? Every single game of every single season, for the most part, put up hundreds and hundreds of yards and 40 to 50 points a game. And he comes to the SEC and he can't even move the ball, let alone score in some of these games. Sans a week one explosion.
1: So I got some answers for you. First of all, LSU... Mississippi State. Mississippi State scored 44 points in that opener. Since then, they have scored 30 points combined in their last four games. So they haven't even eclipsed the point total that they scored in their opener in the last four games. 14 against Arkansas in a loss. Two against Kentucky in a loss. 14 against A&M in a loss. Zero last week against Bama. Um, A couple things. Number one, and I've watched a couple Mississippi State games. So I got the film breakdown for you folks. Number one, this is exactly why you rush three and drop eight against 90-something percent of college quarterbacks. Because these college quarterbacks freak out when there's eight players in the secondary and they rifle a ball into traffic often, as Costello has done. And it's, it's double-teamed. It gets tipped up and picked. Costello's had games where he's thrown like four or five picks in a game this year. Okay, I think it was maybe six. <clears throat> so that's number one. So whenever you hear a friend complaining about why aren't we rushing more than three, that, folks, is exactly why. And it works very often. That's what Nick Aglioti did for like two and a half decades at Oregon, and it worked really well. That's That's number one. Number two is that their O-line is one of the worst O-lines in SEC history. They cannot block anyone. Dude, Arkansas was rushing three that entire game, and they literally couldn't block like Arkansas's D-end. And I don't think, anyway, that Arkansas has any like five-star D-ends going for them. <laughs> I think those guys usually go to LSU, Bama, Florida, or Georgia. A- and Arkansas was getting home in like two seconds... Playing three on five at the line of scrimmage. Same thing with Kentucky. Sure as hell. Same thing with Alabama. Those are the games that I've watched since that LSU game. Mississippi State's O line is terrible. It is one of the worst O lines in SEC history. Seriously, watch a watch a Mississippi State game. They 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 can't block three guys. So that is why. Um, I don't think it's entirely Leach's fault. To be honest, I actually I I guess like saying I'm going to defend Leach is maybe too strong. But it is not his fault that that O line is so atrocious. At some point, you gotta, you know, adapt to to what you have. Of course, but their best running back opted out, Kylan Hill, and best player really. And then their O line is tragic. And teams now rush three and drop eight on them. That's basically what's going on, in in my estimation, after watching all these games.
0: Okay, so he hasn't quite soiled. Uh, program yet is what i'm getting but what about the second question what
1: does it say about pac-12 defenses i think his o-line was better at washington state and pac-12's pass rush wasn't as good as these sec pass rushes i think that is a lot of it um because dude seriously watch their o-line it's absolutely like they can't block anyone that's that's most of it in my opinion Uh, beyond that i would say you know to be fair UW absolutely dominated them every single Apple Cup. UW had it figured out. Folks should have just followed that Jimmy Lake UW blueprint again. Rush three and drop eight against Leach's system. And as long as you have decent players, it's a great strategy. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, when Oregon lost to them uh, recently, I think they only lost like, I think they lost like 31 to 20. And there was maybe a touchdown or two that was pretty much self-inflicted by the offense so it's not like they gave up like forty something. I think a year or two they did. I mean, and certainly Brady Hoke was the DC at Oregon for the worst defense in program history. So whatever happened that year, I'm I'm not surprised about. But it's not like it's not like Oregon was giving up like a lot to him. Like I think they won like thirty, you know, thirty five, thirty seven, thirty five last year, which which isn't great, um, for sure. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I would say just because the pass rush wasn't as good and, um. And their O-line was better. But it is a good question.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm just genuinely curious about how this is all playing out. Because the way I see it is that the SEC has figured out Leach's offense in one game's worth of tape. Not the elite SEC. As you said, Arkansas figured that out for one game. All right? Now, Alabama is obviously an elite team, and they they goose-egged them. But Kentucky two points, Texas A&M, 14, probably should have been less. What's going to happen the rest of the way here? Because, all right, Leach, he recruits a couple of O-linemen. That might solve that problem. These SEC defenses are still going to be the same SEC defenses. Still going to rush three and drop eight. Probably need to switch it up a little bit. It might be a little early. It might be a little premature to say that he's completely soiled that program. But it doesn't look good.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, interesting, interesting transition for them. Also, I don't know what the, because remember Joe Moorhead was all about like the QB power, the power run. They basically ran the same offense that Dan Mullen ran there, which was the Tebow offense that he ran at Florida, which is like a power run game with the quarterback. Like they run the quarterback 15 times. It literally couldn't be more opposite now. Um, but I don't know, but they are using the old QB power personnel, if you will. That could be another reason.
0: Yeah. Either way, something to monitor. That program's in shambles right now. Hope I like Leach. I do. I hope he turns it around. Funny guy. Funny with the media. Offensive genius. Uh, well, up until this point, but seriously, like one of the best offensive minds college football has ever seen. Right up there with Kiffin and Sark, uh, and and Joe Brady. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look good so far. What what's next on the menu, man? We got a lot of college football
1: here. Totally. By the way, Egg Bowl week, Mississippi State, Mississippi is still going to be epic. I don't care if those teams are winless going into that week. K- Kiffin versus our guy Leach on the podium is, is the real game there. Um, Notre Dame is not elite is what you have on here, Big Tony. And Brian Kelly has been citing their record after their loss to Clemson when they miraculously and fraudulently made the college football playoff a couple of years ago. I'm with you on this take. Uh, I got plenty of ammo as to why, but I'll let you kick it off if you have a if you have a stat that you want to cite.
0: I do. I got a rant on this. Not quite as long as the Harbaugh rant, but but Kelly's up there. I can't stand this guy. He's a fraud. He really is. And he's, he seems like a terrible coach, too. He just always throws his players under the bus. I don't know how he gets good players to go to South Bend. I don't know why you'd ever want to play with that guy when there's plenty of other college coaches that don't. Uh, belittle and slander you, but
1: anyway, he might be preaching.
0: He might be preaching, or he might be giving out some of those those handshakes up there that we've heard about. Um, I saw this graphic on Twitter. It's from ESPN College Football, and it's a an apparent quote from Brian Kelly. And he was, I guess, he was asked about the state of Notre Dame football since losing to Clemson in the 2018 College Football Playoff. And he goes, "We're 29 and three in our last 32 games." It's hilarious that he just like cited all this by the way off the top we've won 22 consecutive home games we've won 12 in a row i don't know you guys decide so he does know he thinks that his team is elite it's kind of a shot all that is true but why don't i present some other data points that kelly is not mentioning but are factually correct along with what he said so here's the deal while those, like I said, while those statements may be true, let me tell you who Notre Dame has played in those last 32 games when Kelly has claimed that they've gone 29 and 3. They're spanked by Georgia, all right? And they were spanked by Clemson in the in the 2018 CFP playoff. And they're also spanked by Michigan 45 to 14. So that one's hilarious. Georgia and Clemson are elite, but losing to Michigan 45 to 14, that can't be ignored. No elite team is going to lose to Michigan by that much. But what about the wins? Okay. So five of those wins were against ranked teams that's it just five ranked wins out of those 29 and this year you ready for the kicker this year they haven't played a team above 500 so they may be undefeated on the season but they haven't played anyone with a winless or with a a winning record all against bottom feeding acc schools so i'll leave you with this chief we're not going to do this again with notre dame right we're not going to do this again because they were embarrassed by clemson 30-3 30-3 to 3 in 2018. Ohio State embarrassed them even worse in 2016. And then Alabama beat them so badly in the national championship in 2012 that folks were saying that Notre Dame should never be allowed in the national championship again. Feinbaum last year, <laughs> one of the rare W's by Feinbaum, probably the only one that you can find on tape, said that they deserved a college football playoff ban after beating, being beaten like a drum by Clemson in the 2018 college football playoff semifinals. A rare W for Feinbaum, but I couldn't agree more. This is not an elite team. This is a decent team that beats up on weak teams that disguises itself as an elite team. <laughs> Chief, your
1: thoughts? <laughs> that that was one of my favorite rants that you've ever done, actually, because it was concise and backed up with facts. and And then a nice take from the media there. Uh, with, with a, a, a you know, notably and accurately mentioned by you, a rare W from Feinbaum who normally just spews out, you know, fraudulent southern garbage such as Nick Saban should retire. Um, <clears throat> he's done that like five times. You know, I will never forget the look on Brian Kelly's face when he did the halftime interview when, when Notre Dame was down like 35 nothing at half to Bama. I think that was the 2012 Natty. Everett Golson stiff quarterback was Notre Dame's quarterback and Brian Kelly looked like he was gonna he literally looked like he was gonna cry in that in that halftime interview and because they were getting beaten down so much LeBron even tweeted get at Oregon football down to Miami for a real national championship or something to that effect um, man, I can't even describe how fraudulent Notre Dame is. That Syracuse lost thirty to three a couple years ago. Notre Dame had like two hundred yards of total offense. Ian booked through for one hundred and sixty, and they rushed for like you know sixty or eighty. I, I mean, and this stems back to the ACC as well. I know that they're they're normally independent, but they by the way they pretty much play ACC teams plus um, you know USC. And sometimes Stanford. That's that's essentially Notre Dame schedule. And then you throw in. I'm looking at their schedule last year. They also played Louisville, New Mexico, and Bowling Green. In addition to some ACC teams, Michigan and Stanford. Um, and they also played Georgia. Got, got hammered by Georgia. I just it it comes back to the ACC for me more than anything, <clears throat> which is the ACC, Clemson. Lot, or won every game by an average of 5 touchdowns other than their game against North Carolina last year against ACC opponents. It's just the ACC is so bad and there's such a discrepancy between the haves and the haves nots in that conference that Notre Dame can look fraudulently good and it actually pisses me off with Clemson perhaps even more cuz I think the nation pretty much knows Notre Dame's a fraud. Yeah, you will get your occasional Notre Dame homers Golic, but in general you know that Notre Dame's a fraud. But Clemson gets to and I'm not saying Clemson's a fraud. They get to beat up on a bunch of soft teams all year and stay healthy. And then they end up playing in a national titles or a national semifinal fully healthy and confident and undefeated. They have like a cakewalk to the playoff and that really really ticks me off. And by the way, that's where I'm that that's where I'd like to turn this conversation. And you can you can keep going with the Notre Dame fraud stuff, but my take for this weekend against Clemson, it's kind of a bummer, but it's actually not a big game. So Notre Dame's number 4, Clemson's number 1, sounds like a huge game, right? But Clemson obviously doesn't have Trevor Lawrence, so they're going to start DJU at quarterback at Notre Dame, but because Notre Dame's in the ACC this year, they're going to fraudulently walk their way to the ACC title game, as will Clemson. And they're just going to replay each other in the title game. And whoever wins that, if, if, if you expect both of them to be undefeated going into that game, whoever wins that, or, or with one loss, I meant undefeated against other teams, whoever wins that will just go to the college football playoff. So, like, say somehow Clemson loses this weekend because DJU, their backup, throws... You know, a pick six or two, and and Notre Dame fraudulently wins like twenty to eighteen or something. You know, Notre Dame would still, I'm sure, lose to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson in the ACC title game, and then get kicked out of it. So the point is this: this weekend, I mean, I'm excited to watch Clemson Notre Dame. It's the same time as Oregon, four thirty, but it's actually not really that big of a game because Lawrence is out, and it just sucks because Notre Dame basically never plays elite opponents in the regular season. And it would have been an awesome time for them to get exposed. But they catch a break with DJU being out. And it it takes away from from the importance of this weekend's game. But my point is they always catch the break.
0: And it always leads to them being overhyped. And it needs to stop leading to them getting into big bowl games. And even worse, national championship games. And now college football playoff games. This can't happen anymore. I get your point about how no matter what happens, they're going to have to play Clemson again with the Trevor Lawrence and hopefully a healthy rest of the squad and they'll probably get boat raced. But before we get there, if they are able to win this weekend against Clemson, which there's no guarantee that DJU is going to play well, then all we're going to hear about is how Notre Dame is elite. I can't stand the thought of that. The thought of that makes me sick, so I'm pissed off that Trevor Lawrence who, can't who play. Who is saying that? Who is saying that though? Like Notre Dame is elite. I've heard this way too often for the last like decade because they beat up on weak ass schools. Remember, Herb Street went to bat for them last year when they lost to Georgia. He said it was a a great effort by them. Other other people too backed them up in the media about them having these like incredible win streaks and how brian kelly's rock solid because of all the the like good outings that he puts together against duke and pittsburgh and it's like what why are we still doing this <laughs> it's not just the media too they get they're getting rewarded in these playoff games to even go they shouldn't have been in 2012 that should have been oregon they shouldn't have gone in 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 2018 and they got boat raised both of those times in every big game that they played they get exposed.
1: No, I totally agree. This is their schedule this year. Duke, they won 27-13. Folks, Duke is 2-6 and six right now. South Florida, 52 nothing. Charlie Weiss's son is the OC of South Florida. He has completely soiled that offense. The Soiled Seminoles, they beat 42-26. Folks, the Soiled Seminoles were uh, in the lead uh, in the second quarter and maybe even in the third quarter of that game. They beat Louisville twelve to seven at home. The next week, there is no elite team that beats Louisville twelve to seven at home. They win at Pitt forty-five to three. Pitt was playing with their backup quarterback, who was absolutely atrocious. Bless the guy's heart, but he was atrocious. And then they played Georgia Tech, who UCF beat by a hundred, and Georgia Tech, uh, and they beat Georgia Tech thirty-one thirteen. Um, so I guess Tony, that might beg the question do we throw a coin on Clemson minus five and a half? I mean, that's a small line for a truly elite college football juggernaut against a fraudulent Notre Dame team.
0: I would have already put my mortgage on it. If Lawrence were playing, I can't trust DJU. I've only seen one game and he wasn't that good against Boston college. I really can't trust
1: it. (sighs) That's a good point. It's a good point. It's a good point. Um, Let's move on. Speaking of Boston College, let's get to other college football games from this past weekend. Unless, are you, are you are you good on your Notre Dame take?
0: I'm good on it. I just, I can't stand them. And I really hope that they lose. And I really hope that we stop making the mistake of considering them elite and putting them in big games. That's it.
1: We're going to whip around some college football games. Clemson 34, BC 28. Shout out to Jeff Affley and BC. They bottled up Travis Etienne for pretty much the whole game. They actually kind of won the line of scrimmage. Clemson's lost the line of scrimmage a lot this year, if you watch them close. DJU, not not great. I'll, I'll pull up his line in a second here, but a lot of bad early possessions. Boston College was up huge early in the game. They actually went completely scoreless in the second half, but they scored 28 in the first half, including a 99-yard scoop and score at the goal line. DJU kind of, Put the ball a bit high on ETN. He he basically hit him in the shoulder pads, upper chest area, instead of putting in his gut at the at the one yard line. And shout out to BC's linebacker or free safety, whoever that was, number ten, I think, just grabbed it and booked it ninety nine yards the other way for a touchdown. Obviously, a fourteen point swing in the game. Um, Clemson did get a little lucky with with some field goal kicking in that game. BT Potter, their their kicker, he's actually a really good college kicker, but. Um, that game was obviously a lot closer than folks thought uh Clemson, even without Trevor Lawrence, ended up being uh like a 25, 26 point favorite in that game. BC's pretty good. They're their QB Jerkovic is a Notre Dame transfer. Um you know, I don't know, Big Tony. I mean, it was obviously a shock that Clemson almost went down. I mean, there there was about for about three and a half quarters, there was a strong chance that they were going to go down, but the preacher must have given a hell of a, hell of a preaching session at halftime in this one.
0: I thought that they were going to lose. I, I stopped watching in half. I was wine tasting this weekend and I checked my phone after I got done with a couple of nice Chiantis. And I saw that the preacher he'd willed them to victory. <laughs> what the hell happened? Didn't Boston college have like a 20 point lead? What did the, what did the preacher say to those boys
1: at halftime? I don't, I don't know, but the second half offensively for BC, I mean, they, it, it went punt, punt, fumble, pick, safety. Those were their possessions in the second half. <laughs> so they, they, their offense soiled itself in the second half is, per, is pretty much what happened. Uh, and DJU finally got going. He finished with 340 yards. Okay, so it was 28-13 at halftime BC. He finished with like 340 yards and a couple touchdowns, but two touchdowns, no picks. But it really didn't look that good. But again, this is what I'm telling you. Clemson only rushed for 106 yards in ETN, like, but for my money, the best running back in college football by far, although I do love Najee Harris. But ETN, 20 carries, 84 yards, I mean, against BC. like Clemson has not run the ball very well. And so I guess that is maybe your your concern for this weekend at Notre Dame, um, but yeah, I mean I guess the kind of the story was, well, oh dude, the other thing is Tessator's son was the it, it has been a backup kicker on BC for a while, and I've known this by the way, and then he's also their their placeholder. They faked a field goal by having him hustle up to the line and doing a hard count, and he he oil up that hard count. He like kind of lunged forward as the cue. Q- be, they did a little reformation. He went from the, the, the placeholder to under center as a QB. And, and Joe Tessator was on the call of the game. And he goes, Tessitore books it under center. And they, oh, they get him off sides. What a job by Tessitore. And it was a classic moment. You obviously, just, you know, I mean, it was probably a good family moment. I'm sure they had a nice laugh about it afterwards. But it was a vintage Vintage Joe Tessitore game from the fact that Clemson almost got upset at home. He 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 gave us a good line. He goes, and the Eagles are soaring in Death Valley at one point in the first half. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then he had his son un- under center greasing up an absolutely hilarious uh, play where he forced an offside to, to get a first down and extend the drive.
0: I actually thought that was dope. I, I rip on Tess a lot. And I I mean, there's just no making fun of that. I thought that was an awesome moment. It was a genuine Tessator moment through and through. And I was glad to see that happen. The one thing I'll say is that <laughs> I'm glad. I'm really happy that Tess is back on college calls. He was terrible on Monday Night Football, just objectively terrible. Him and the Booger Mobile, it, it, none of it worked. I'm really glad that he's back on college football because I, I, I've always said that he's a, a very good college football play-by-play guy except for a couple of all-time terrible moments like the Texas is back. But for the most part, he makes sense for these college broadcasts. I'm happy to see him on these calls instead of stinking up the Monday night games in the NFL. And I'm happy for him and his son. That was a cool moment.
1: That's all well said. Exactly. I mean, that you know, folks grease it up on social media and call it the Tess effect. That's too much grease. But when he does call... A potential upset at like uh, for like a 1230 game like a 9 a.m. or a 1230 game with Tess on the call and it's an upset like maybe TCU up up seven on Texas in Austin or something like that or obviously this game is an example BC pretty much almost beating Clemson that that's Tessator's bread and butter right there so he can oil up Texas's back folks when they beat a four-win Notre Dame team in, in double overtime um that, that is vintage Tess. Uh, okay, I got two fake tough moments from this week in college football, Big Tony. I got two big time fake tough moments. Number one was James Franklin tweeting Ohio State, 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 until he ran out of character room, and then losing and getting dominated at home by Ohio State. 38-25 the final. It was not even remotely that close. An incredibly bizarre game. Penn State caught like four breaks. I mean, a couple of very, very sketchy roughing the passer penalties that ended up extending drives on like third and longs when it was incomplete, and instead it turned into, you know, first and 10, 15, 20 yards upfield where they ended up scoring on those drives. That field goal before the end of the half where teams were literally in the locker room and Ryan Day was literally doing his half halftime interview with Maria Taylor, the refs called everyone back on the field and said Justin Fields knee play where he clearly was like hanging out for four seconds probably and then took a knee. They said that play only lasted one second. Turnover, Penn State gets the ball and they kick a fifty yarder right before half. Your boy had a little coin on that game. <laughs> and I was like, if that if that costs me, I'm going to lose my mind. And it almost did, because Ohio State, by the way, botched two chip shot field goals as well uh crazy game uh Justin Fields is the best player in college football uh for my money as far as college player not projecting pro pro caliber work but college player I think he's playing as good as anyone or better um the other fake tough moment was from Missouri and Florida Florida was dominating Missouri Missouri's kind of a soiled team this year Elijah Drinkwitz is their new coach over from App State they're they're pretty soiled, and the thing is, if you watch Missouri play, they know their season's soiled, and so they're just kind of playing. They're not really like playing with, with passion or playing with I don't know the purpose that they feel like they're gonna make a big bowl game. They cheap shotted Kyle Trask on the last play before halftime, and Trask is a big dude. He and he threw like kind of a hail mary thing, um, end of half. Some, some fake-tough linebacker cheap shot at Trask with a super-high hit well after the play. Number one, the refs must have not seen it because they didn't throw a flag. But number two, it started a, a, a fake-tough brawl as Missouri's players and coaching staff went over to the Florida side as they were both exiting the field for their halftime breaks to the halftime tunnel. And they started rumbling, and then it got into full-on, full-on fist fights and I think there were miraculously only four suspensions handed out and then by the way in kind of a fake tough moment but also kind of a hilarious moment by Dan Mullen once the teams finally stopped fist fighting and got into the locker rooms Dan Mullen just sprint, sprinted back out onto the field and just started pumping up the crowd which also potentially equally hilariously is there was a you know there was a a huge crowd on hand there in the swamp, folks. Mid pandemic, those folks do not care. Uh, you know if it was up to Mullen, it'd be a full crowd of a hundred large. And he just is like walking around the field, pumping up fans. The SEC later handed out a twenty five thousand dollar sportsmanship suspension, uh, suspension for Dan Mullen, but just a hilarious fifteen minutes of fake toughness in that game down in the swamp. Yeah, what the
0: hell was that about? I, I'm with you, by the way, first for the James Franklin stuff. Always said that guy was fake tough. Kind of a fraud. Uh, hasn't really won a, a big bowl game. They did win a, a conference championship, but then they lost USC in that Rose Bowl. That was their best season. Other than that, he doesn't want the smoke. He always acts like he wants the smoke. He doesn't want it. Ohio State owns them except for that lucky game where they got a block kick and then they won that. Stop acting like you want Ohio State. That's the same with hard fraud. That's the same with everyone else. You don't want Ohio State. They are way better than everyone in that conference and pretty much everyone in college football, not named Clemson and Alabama. So we, we got, we got to stop with that. Seriously, James Franklin, just, just sit over there, get off Twitter, maybe sip some nice Vino's and enjoy your eight, seven, one season for the rest of the way. As far as the brawl, that was bizarre, man. What the hell was that about? It was a cheap shot, all that fake tough hoorah. And then Dan Mullen coming out. I mean, it's it's such a typical... That's like, it's such redneck a typical moment. Like, that's like
1: redneck moment of the year right there. Dan Mullen sprinting out and pumping up the crowd after a fight.
0: It's such a typical moment between two teams that aren't going to win the conference. Just all about pushing and shoving and, and kind of the extracurricular stuff. Such garbage, man. And Dan, for Dan Mullen to get fired up too, that's a hilarious moment for him as well. As you said, I can probably point to that as like number six on my top 10 list of whenever someone asks me like, so why do you say that it means more in, in the SEC down south? I'll roll that tape and I'll probably chalk that up to number six.
1: <laughs> oh man, I love it. That's a good take. Texas, Oklahoma State, Texas wins 41-34 in overtime. This was an amazing game. It was one of those games that was a one o'clock kick so it ended just before the night games. <clears throat> I caught the fourth quarter I was actually out at the driving range testing some uh, some putters and my old man, shout out to PC3 called me and said you gotta get back for the end of this Texas-Oklahoma State game. I'd watched some of the first half then drove home and caught the last 10 minutes of the game plus overtime um, my, my only take is this Texas would be a four win team without Sam Ellinger that guy is unbelievable, and the rest of the team is buns. I mean, at least their defense was hitting hard. You know, Oklahoma State's obviously struggled on offense this year. That's well-documented. The reason they're highly ranked is because their defense. At least Texas's players were hitting hard on defense. There were some, some bone-crushing hits, if you will. But in overtime, they got lucky. Oklahoma State scored a touchdown and and an O-lineman who had absolutely nothing to do with the play got flagged for being too far downfield. He got called back and Texas ended up <laughs> sacking Spencer Sanders and winning the game a couple plays later. um, But Texas would be a four one team without Ellinger. And, and I think, I think Herman's seat is getting real hot. I mean, the number one quarterback in the 2022 class Quinn Ewers, if I'm saying that right, just decommitted from Texas. I, I think, I think Herman's seat is getting real hot, but at the same time, a simultaneous shout out to Sam Ellinger who I, I just love watching that dude compete and that guy is the entire program. They, they'd be a four win team without him.
0: Agreed. Yeah. Not a very good team. Very good quarterback with a lot of heart. Probably not going to be a good pro, but
1: yeah, you should shout out to him man. he's still balling. Oh yeah. Now he's, he's, he's kind of a dual threat guy. Not the best, not the best, you know passer probably won't be but amazing college quarterback um and if he was at Texas in a different era like shortly after the Colt McCoy era when everything around him was still rolling he'd be he'd be seen in a different light in my opinion um bad gambling beats uh i personally had a, had a little coin on chargers minus 4 which lost on the last play of the game um Probably should just never bet on the Chargers, but Jesus Christ, they were the better team for the entire game. Um, that's my bad gambling beat. Tony, do you have any to bring to the table?
0: Yeah, I bet on the two-lane over, and 2 put up 38, so that wasn't the issue, but Temple, Temple only scored three points against the worst two-lane defense in decades. Two-lane's defense was so bad that there were articles being written about how bad they were. I think they had just given up back-to-back 600-yard weeks against teams before Temple showed up. There was no rain. It was a perfectly clear day. I I don't know what else to say other than that. How do you only score three points against the worst defense in not only the conference, but, like, one of the five worst defenses in the nation? Mind-blowing. Terrible, terrible beat.
1: That is a terrible beat. Big Tony, I have four soiled college football programs for you. I want you to tell me which one is the most soiled. You ready? Let's do it. Kansas football at 0-6, fresh off a 30-point home loss. They also lost to Coastal Carolina by a lot at home earlier this year. That's the Sun Belt, folks. Shout out. Those Chanticleers are still undefeated. Vanderbilt football at 0-4. Matt Golden Corral just whipped up. A six touchdown buffet against them last week. Syracuse football at one and six, which lost to Hugh Freeze and Liberty by like 20 earlier this year. Or Illinois football at 0 and 2, which lost to Wisconsin by a million, and then Purdue football recently. And Lovey Smith is just siphoning money out of that athletic department as the head coach there, as is Les Miles. He's also siphoning money out of the kansas jayhawks athletic fund um if i was a donor i'd have some serious questions for Les miles but which one of those is the most soiled
0: kansas by far and let me ask you something really quickly did you say hugh freeze
1: Hugh freeze has liberty <laughs> football undefeated <laughs> right now hugh freeze is allowed to coach college football <laughs> oh we've shown you we've rolled the tape of his of his preacher moment at Liberty, haven't we? We I don't know we if we pulled that tape on this program. No, 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 we have. And I I knew it, but
0: it just a reminder that you it's like it's like if someone were to say, Man, did you know that uh that Rick Patino just upset Oregon State? He's the head coach of like the Portland Pilots or something. <laughs> like that. That's what that's what all that's what this kind of represents to me when you said that Hugh Freeze is Liberty's head coach. How is that guy allowed to coach college football, man? How is that guy allowed to be a role
1: model that guy, for 18- to 22-year-old man? How is that guy allowed to influence 18- to 22-year-olds? He he used Ole Miss's athletic department corporate card for hookers. <laughs> basically, he's basically the Patino of college football, right? Totally. By the way, I went down a Patino rabbit hole the other day, and I found the restaurant in Louisville where he had sex with that lady for like 15 seconds. It, it's called Porcini's. So next time we visit... <laughs> next time we visit Kentucky, if we ever do, we're heading straight for Porcini's and, and getting oh, a steak and Oh, my God. Happened.
0: Did you say that the name of that place is called Porcini's?
1: Porcini's in Louisville, Kentucky. Look it up, folks. It's got 4.6 stars. That that doesn't sound like a real place. That sounds like a that sounds like a a, a porn restaurant. Porcini. <laughs> it's called Porcinis. They sell wine straight out of the Willamette Valley here in in Oregon, folks. They're a they're a, an Italian. Oh. They're an Italian restaurant. AP, we might have to just do our due diligence and fly straight there and and do some do some investigations at some point. I'm dead, man. Porcinis. Porcini's. Oh.
0: Are we going there first or are we going there second to taking a visit to local boys and seeing what happened with Anderson in and the Oregon State Athletic Department?
1: Yeah, we need to we need to get on. We need to get local first. I agree. But someday we'll have to make it out to Porcini's. And get a nice bottle, of, bottle of wine and some spaghetti. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, Rick Pitino coaching Iona, and also, um, like wait, 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 wait a minute. He's co- he's back in the U.S. Yeah, but he he, he got hired by Iona. Iona basketball. wasn't he coaching in like in, in like uh, a country like Greece? He was coaching in Greece. Yep. And folks, let me tell you firsthand: there are no rules in Greece, and I mean literally no rules you don't file taxes <laughs> you 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 pay in cash only everywhere there are zero rules there so lord only knows what what patino did over there in greece
0: probably had a uh, more than one porcini over there
1: <laughs> he probably delivered the the patino porcini over there on those greek islands come on man and by the way liberty is playing virginia tech this weekend getting 14 and a half points in Blacksburg, Hugh Freeze is going to be on national television again. We need... I You know what? I'm actually rooting for Liberty to win that game. Oh, damn, it's on SEC, ACC Network. I am I am rooting for Liberty to win that game simply so that we get a Hugh Freeze national television postgame um, interview. Yeah, I'm with it. And by the way, I stand with Patino. I don't stand with Freeze, but I stand with Patino. I just want that to be you known. stand with vampire Rick. Quick Rick. Quick Rick. <laughs> Remember that Stu Gotts vampire segment? Oh God, that was classic. You sent me that the other day. Where, where he's I think the
0: best one that he had in that entire minute-long compilation was where he holds everyone accountable except for himself. <laughs> and it's just It's just him
1: looking in the mirror, and it's like a vampire (laughs) photoshopped. And he he, he talks about how he coaches basketball because it's an indoor sport because he's a vampire. God, that is good. Oh, man. Oh, man. If I had that handy, I'd play it, but, damn, that's funny. Okay. The Pac-12 starts this weekend, Big Tony. Let's keep it rolling. What do you got for me on a quick little Pac 12 preview before we uh, launch our, our bigger Pac 12 preview pod later this week.
0: All right. Pac 12 games this weekend. Arizona State at USC. USC minus 10 and a half. I like Arizona State there. I, I think they're going to keep this close. Herm's got that team going and juiced up and energized. I really don't think USC is that good. I don't think that they're the number 20 team in the country. Arizona at Utah, probably going to be low scoring. I like Utah. They're at home. Great defense. Kind of stiff offense, but they'll get it done. UCLA and Colorado. Could not care less about either of these teams. UCLA paid almost $6 million in food last year for four wins, including a loss to Oregon State at home by 30-plus with the San Gabriel Mountains in the background, Chief.
1: Bathing in the Southern California sunset.
0: Absolutely pathetic. Could not care less about UCLA and Colorado. Stanford and Oregon, I care a lot about. I think Oregon's going to roll there. Love to see the Ducks back in action. I don't think Stanford has enough firepower to compete with this team. Oregon, even though missing a couple of big-time players due to opting out, I think rolls pretty easily. That's the primetime game on ABC. Then a couple of late Pac-12 after darks. Washington State at Oregon State. God, that is just the epitome of Pac-12 after dark there. I don't know what to make of that game. And then Washington at California. Really don't care about that game either, but. I think Washington probably gets it done on the road. Kind of a, a lackluster opening weekend for the Chief. It's just good to have these guys
1: back. Totally, Doug. Um, That was all well said. Stanford and Oregon, Ducks minus 11. Probably take the under in that game. Looking forward to seeing the new Joe Moorhead offense with Tyler Shuck at QB. I watched the crystal ball presser today. And he was saying, you know, it's Tyler Shuck or Anthony Brown, but I think we all know it'll be it'll be Tyler Shuck um, starting as he's been running with the ones all of camp. Super excited to see four freshmen for the Ducks: Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, Chris Hudson, the receiver from Bosco, who played with uh, with DJU, and the preacher couldn't quite preach him all the way to South Carolina. And then Jamal Hill, who folks have really been greasing up throughout this fall camp, who's the new nickel, a.k.a. the new Javon Holland spot. Super pumped to see those guys play. Uh, obviously, Kayvon's encore, from what he did last year, is probably being the best defensive player in the conference as a true freshman, <laughs> which is insane, but super excited to see see all those guys and uh, see the bright lights of autumn awesome back, even though there won't be any fans in the crowd. Oregon State-Washington State is going to be a super weird game for many reasons. Um, Nick Rolovich, Washington State's new coach, is is just as bizarre as as Leach is, and he runs the same offense. He's essentially just like a carbon copy of Leach except 15 years younger. So that's going to be hilarious, and they're starting a true freshman quarterback. Oregon State is starting Tristan Gebbia, the same guy who filled in for Jake Luton in the Civil War. And Gabby uh, was was pretty stiff in that game. He's a stiff, slow, pro-style guy. Uh, I expect... I mean, it's like a super low-scoring team in Oregon State versus a super high-scoring team in Washington State. Uh, That game's going to be crazy. I think the over-under's in the 60s, which it seems like, oh my God, take the under. But that's just bait. I'm leaving that Pac-12 after-dark game alone. Um, ASU-USC, 9 a.m. kick... Excited to see Slovis versus Jaden Daniels, probably the two best quarterbacks in the conference, in addition to maybe Shuck if he ends up playing really well. Those are obviously two really good quarterbacks. USC-ASU has been a, a one-possession game for the last couple of years. I would definitely take ASU plus 10.5 if I were a betting man. Arizona-Utah, I think th- th- there's there's three teams that are really, really bad in the Pac 12. And actually there might be 5. But Oregon State, Arizona and Colorado are all really 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 bad. Washington State and UCLA might be right there as well. But but the point is Utah even with a new QB who I believe will be Jake Bentley, the South Carolina transfer, um I and a, and a, and a, and an offense that has to replace Huntley, who I don't even think was that great, but he was a starter and made some good plays. and He looked good against bad teams. You know, that'll be probably a low-scoring game. I think the over-under there's 58.5. I would definitely take the under. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, is he might, he might get fired midseason this year if it goes real south because, whoa. I mean, Arizona's looking like they're in deep trouble. Colorado football? It, it, they have a cool story at starting QB. Kid went to Beaverton high school in in the Portland burbs, Sam Neuer is his name. Uh, so get this. He was the backup for Steven Montez forever. Then he graduated, left the team, came back to Portland was working. And then the new coaching staff there, Carl Dorrell and former Beaver OC, Danny Langsdorf folks, <laughs> re-recruited him back to Colorado after he left the program He's back there as like a fifth- or a sixth-year senior, and he just won the starting job. So he's their starting QB. As heartwarming of a story as that is, Colorado football is soiled right now. And that's going to be a soil fest against UCLA um, in Boulder. The San Gabriel Mountains will not be on ESPN, too. Uh, And then finally, another Pac-12 after the dark game, Washington Washington versus Cal. This is the ultimate under game. But Vegas is on to it. over unders already at 46 and probably dropping. Two new, two, uh, well, actually not two new QBs. Sermon, the new QB for UW, uh, after Jacob Beeson somewhat inexplicably left a season early for the draft. And then Cal's QB, Garbers, uh, who's good, kind of a gamer. Uh, two defensive teams. And this is the Jimmy Lake debut. Um, UW's new head coach. Obviously a, a well-publicized, quality defensive coordinator for a long time there under Chris Peterson. And, uh, yeah, 7.30 on ESPN. I'm sure we'll get into to to more detail later in the week, but it'll be a good game as well. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess I can quickly give my picks off the top of my head for now. Take the Ducks. I, you know what? This is crazy, but I'll take the Beavers. Uh, I'll take ASU in an upset, Utah, UCLA, and I'll go with Cal. As well,
0: I like it, yeah, I think I'll give my picks later in the week on that second pod that we're gonna crank out a couple bad beats last weekend. need to do more research just initially, though I do like Arizona State to cover that ten and a half, and I am like an Oregon to beat up on Stanford by more than eleven, but yeah that's uh that's a lot of college football that we just talked. Are there any other random notes that we want to throw out there for college football over the weekend, chief?
1: Uh, random notes. Um, man, B- I Not really. BYU Boise State. It's gonna be epic this Friday. Um, I'm pumped for that. We'll see if BYU's for real. For real, they, it, BYU has had a hilarious start to the season because, as we, as well documented, they they ended up playing a bunch of, in your words, online colleges. Um, it, it, because they had to scramble for a brand new schedule once all the Power Five said we're going conference only. But they kept their prime time slots. So they've been beating people by 30 on national TV every week. So they look like amazing. Because every time you see BYU on national TV, they're up a hundred points. But now they get a real, real team at Boise State, Smurf Turf on Friday. Um that's what I got for you. You want to move on to NFL? That's it, folks. If BYU
0: wins this Friday at Boise State. You can go ahead and print those undefeated Cougar shirts. God, is going to be lit if they win this Friday.
1: They will be tanked up on Pepsi. <laughs> NFL NFL talk, Big Tony. Ben DiNucci is still leading the $5 billion enterprise known as Jerry Jones, Dallas Cowboys. They are still trotting out Ben DiNucci as the face of that $5 billion franchise. Uh, That Sunday night football game, it, it's really easy to say a lot of people stink in the NFL because it's re- really, really, really freaking hard to look good at quarterback in the NFL. But damn, Ben DiNucci versus Carson Wentz. Your, your thoughts on that Sunday nighter? It was a
0: soiled Sunday night program. I'm just so... Disappointed that we keep having having to watch NFC East in primetime. I get it. I I understand them how the, these things work. It's it's all about markets. People love the Dallas Cowboys. it's why they're worth five billion dollars. Till the end of time, you're going to see those two stinky franchises, and really the NFC East, just a soil division, play those those primetime games Sunday night and Monday night football. And it sucks, but whatever. But but Sunday night was like an all time low. Ben DiNucci is so bad, so bad. He can't even make, like, basic NFL throws. I remember him throwing, like, a couple of Uncle Rico sidearms last night that weren't even close to the receiver and just thinking to myself, this is it? This is the best that the $5 billion Dallas Cowboys have to throw out there? You couldn't sign someone midweek? Call up Charlie Whitehurst. (laughs) What is Charlie Whitehurst doing that he can't come out there and throw a couple of at least accurate checkdowns? I mean, Danucci <laughs> can't even throw the ball accurately five yards, let alone, <laughs> let alone lead a team for a touchdown drive. It's terrible. And Carson Wentz, this was, the, this was the funnier part, is that Wentz couldn't even outplay him for most of the game. Carson Wentz is somehow so terrible now after once being like an MVP candidate that he can't even outplay a third-string quarterback that went to an online college in James Madison. Wentz was throwing three flies up balls that were intercepted for most of the game. What a terrible game, man. I'm sick of these terrible games. I really am.
1: God, you know what? It it gave me flashbacks to remember when ESPN paid like $200 million for that one playoff game. It was like Raiders Texans. And it, and it was like Connor cook against, I think the rocket ship Brock Osweiler. And it was yep. just like a, it was just like a soiled playoff game that ESPN paid $200 million for the rights to broadcast. That was, that's the hysterical part about modern day, you know, media and these media rights deals, which by the way, are, are it's totally uh, the correct move for these executives to purchase media rights deals. Cause foot, like night football games, particularly primetime standalone games are, are worth every penny. And then some for advertising, but it's just hilarious when you get just two soil offenses. And it was a, it was an accurate take by the herd. Um, a, a a rare W, as you said earlier, for Feinbaum. It was a rare W for the herd who labeled the Eagles' skill position players as "quote deck furniture" because that's pretty accurate. Carson Wentz was thrown to to some lawn chairs and some you know little little bar back tables. I mean, he's working with Greg Ward, and, who was a quarterback in college, and I don't know who else. He's thrown to a lot of backups. So I will defend. I am still a Wentz uh, apologist, but it's not looking great. I I totally admit that. So that game stunk.
0: There were a lot of bizarre things in college football over the weekend, but there were a lot of bizarre things in the NFL too. I want to let you have the floor for the Chargers segment. I know you have a Chargers rant here. They soiled themselves again. At this point, the Chargers, I think they've blown like four double-digit leads so far this year. and I. They're inventing ways to lose. It's like the Falcons where you just, you know, you don't know how, but you know it's coming and then it comes and then you you still are in disbelief. How are the Chargers every week, Chief, soiling themselves to the point where they're blowing double-digit leads in ways that just blow the human
1: mind? So according to ESPN Stats and Info, NFL teams leading by 17-plus points this season. Are 52 and 4, except for the Chargers, who are 0 and 3. Folks, it's unexplainable at this point. And by the way, they temporarily blew a 16 point lead against the Jags, and then they came back and won 39 29. The soiled Jaguars, by the way. I mean, the Jags are starting Jake Luton on Sunday against the Texans votes. If you're looking for free money, Texans minus 6.5 against Jake Luton and the Jags this Sunday. It's a soiled product. I I was, I was, I I, I guess I knew it was coming, but what I was thinking when I threw just a little bit of cabbage on it was, my God, uh, Herbert's been unbelievable. And that's the other thing. Herbert, and this is no exaggeration, has been historically good for rookie quarterback standards. He's tying or breaking records set by Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and guys you know, from back in the day. Herbert has literally been historically good as a rookie QB, and they're still blowing these leads. And the reason is primarily because their defense, particularly their secondary, just sucks. I have a couple of things on this. Number one, I'm going to lay out where I was at on Sunday. So I was, I was golfing at beautiful Gearheart links with, with our guys, Ryan and Fredo shout out to those, those two lifetime bros. Um, amazing golf course out there in Astoria, Oregon. I was ripping it pretty good. Had a great day. I'm checking my phone every now and then throughout the round. I'm like, Oh sweet. Chargers are up 14 to three Oh 21 to three. Oh, awesome. You know, I'm tracking it a little bit at this restaurant we go to. And I listened to it. I listened to the fourth quarter, um, on the radio on my way home through, through, you know, some, some app, I got the chargers local broadcast, Daniel Jeremiah is the color guy. And then Matt money Smith is the play by play guy that Daniel Jeremiah greases him up and calls him money the whole time. Uh, well, it wasn't a great broadcast by the way, but I'll leave it at that. The, that, that excruciating, I went back and watched the highlights that excruciating final drive, to let Drew Locke march you down the field on you like that with basically no timeouts, committing multiple pass interference penalties, including that one in the back of the end zone. And in general, letting Drew Locke drop 28 points on you. Like everyone for you know, the you know, the Saints game, the kicker obviously lost that one. In general, I mean the one game Herbert didn't play great in was the was the Panthers game where they lost, I think, 21-16 but generally speaking it's been the defense and and there I like Anthony Lynn but Daniel Popper who's got a great SoCal douche vibe to him is the Athletic beat reporter <clears throat> he wrote this article today <clears throat> is Anthony Lynn the correct coach to lead the Chargers that's the headline he's a beat reporter and he he goes at Lynn pretty good on some of these i played the audio last week um i'll just read you the first couple of lines I am sitting at my computer trying to come up with the words to describe what happened to the Chargers in Denver on Sunday afternoon, and I am failing. It was not a disaster. It was not a calamity. It was not a debacle. It was not a collapse. It was not a catastrophe. It was not embarrassing or devastating or heartbreaking. It was worse than all that. So much worse. There's no word in the English language to truly and fully describe what the Chargers did in the, in the second half of their unimaginable 31-30 to 30 loss to the Broncos at mile high. Anthony Lynn, like most NFL coaches, has a 24-hour rule. Players get one day to bask in the glory of victory or toil in the sorrows of defeat. And then it's on to the next game. But this loss cannot simply be placed in the past. This is not a game the Chargers move on from in a day or a week or a month or a year. This is a game that will live on, whether or not the Chargers make significant changes. The running joke is that the Chargers always find new, outrageous ways to lose football games but for the band, fans who watch every Sunday and viscerally feel these deep losses in their bones, in their hearts, there's nothing funny about the Chargers' plight. This organization scripts tragedies more deftly, gloomily, and creatively than William Shakespeare. All right, I, I could go on for a oh, while. Oh, cut but it that was out. Cut that grease It was a lot of grease by Popper. And I mean a lot of grease. Cut and, that you know, Shakespeare you know, so he, reference out, man. <laughs> you know, Anthony Lynn spat out his morning coffee when he read that Shakespeare line because, <laughs> you know, these coaches are reading, reading these, these media articles and he, he spat his coffee out. I'm sure. Um, some serious grease by Popper in all seriousness. It really is unimaginable. Like, like if I told you drew lock scorched them for, for four second half touchdowns, including a touchdown on the final play of the game, like, You probably wouldn't even believe me with how ridiculous that is, even considering how badly the Chargers have blown some of these games. But that's what happened. The moral of the story is their defense absolutely stinks. I don't want to hear. Here's my other point. I don't want to hear any injury excuses. Everyone in the NFL is ravaged by injuries. And you know what? Here's a perfect example. The Steelers played the Ravens this weekend in the NFL game of the week. Really good game. Steelers and Big Ben slipped their way out. They're still undefeated, and they won you know, narrowly. I think it was like 28-24, something like that. Lamar Jackson threw a pick-six in that game, and who did he throw that pick-six to? He threw it to the backup player of Devin Bush, the all-pro linebacker, pass rusher for the Steelers, who was out for the game, and what happens? But his backup has a pick-six in the biggest game of the season. That's my entire point. I don't care that Derwin James is out; he's amazing. But if you're a great team or even a good team with good culture, good coaching, you know, stable personnel, your backup is going to go in and at least perform admirably, and maybe even make a pick or a pick six. Like this, it was like a random tatted white dude no one had ever heard of made the pick six for for the Steelers. So I'm done with the injury excuses. At this point, if you blow one lead, okay. If you blow three leads and basically four leads of 17, there's no excuses. I, I think the coaching staff has to go. And I like Anthony Lynn. I, I'd maybe even keep him on staff as like the running backs coach or something. He seems like a good dude. But the blown leads are completely inexcusable at this point. The only silver lining is that... They're we are going to maybe get to draft Panay Sewell, or if not, you know, some other. There's a couple of Bama guys who who are going to go high. Get one of those guys. Protect Herbert. Herbert obviously looks like a potential all-pro for a, the next decade. Protect him and then draft like seven defensive players and and get going from there.
0: Well said. Anthony Lynn's got to go for sure. I would love to see Popper and Lynn, by the way, in like a three-round contest that that would be awesome ufc too just full <laughs> full go full go and i'm sure that Lynn would boy he would get after it man that's like troy aikman skip bayless type type uh <laughs> vibes right there <laughs> um maybe Ch- chuck barkley skip bayless vibes too all right my last nfl note i got i got this written down here jimmy g was exposed again chief god jimmy g is a fraud He's just Charlie Whitehurst with a $100 million contract, man. And I've been saying this. I've been saying this along with Harfrod and Brian Kelly and everyone else that I've been ripping on the, all these years. It just comes true time and time and time again. And with Jimmy G, what are we? can we stop with this too? I mean, the Jimmy G apologists, most of them San Francisco 49er fans, Santa Clara 49er fans now, by the way. It's not San Francisco anymore. Jimmy G's done. This guy's a bum. I, I don't want to hear it anymore. All he does is throw five-yard checkdowns. He can't throw the deep ball. He can't move out of the pocket. He's been exposed time and time again. He couldn't make the one throw that he needed to make that he was getting paid $100 million to make in the Super Bowl last year. Wide open, Emmanuel Sanders blew them the Super Bowl. This year, he stinks. He's always stinked. Enough of Jimmy G, man. Just get rid of that guy. And if you're Jimmy G, you got to give some of that money back to charity, brother.
1: Nick Mullen show down there in in the Bay, yeah. I saw Jimmy G was getting an ankle surgery, um, and then Kittle got has ankle has a broken foot. By the way, did you see Kittle run off the field with a broken foot? <laughs> that, guy is, that, guy is yeah, that guy's that guy's
0: yeah, that guy's insane. He, he is. Uh, uh, He's nuts.
1: Um. Okay. You got a politics dot 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 lol tab here. Where are we going with this?
0: Just really quickly, we don't we don't talk politics politics on the show, folks, but so tomorrow's a pretty big day. Make sure you go vote. Uh, the other thing I'll say is that just stay off social media tomorrow. You know it's going to be out of control no matter who wins. Seriously, it's going to be com- completely out of control. If you want to get like a quick 15 to 20 minute session in to get some laughs in, I guess, you know go ahead. But for the most part, it's going to get pretty toxic. I-, I would definitely stay off Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and, and probably Facebook and just all of those apps. And then my third point, just really quickly, no matter what happens, you and I sincerely mean this, we, we joke a lot on this show, but this is a deep and true point. You always have the ability to be a good person to those around you. So your neighbors, friends, family, loved ones, try to be a good person and a role model in the community and instill change. You can't always affect some of the bigger things that are wrong with this country, this world, this society. And what I've found is that the more that people kind of... It's good to spread awareness. It really is. It's good to spread awareness. And a lot of these causes definitely need to be fought for and stood up for and changed. But again, I'll say this. For the most part, a lot of this stuff is out of all of our control. Just try to be a good person. Just baseline, be a good person to those around you. And the rest of the stuff, I would just say... Put more of your energy into what you can't control, especially to those around you, loved ones, friends, family, and less of it on social media. And I promise you, I promise you, you'll be a happier person because of it. That's my rant.
1: There we go. Cowherd said the Ravens would go 16-0 and 0 and the Steelers would go 7-9 before the season. I saw this graphic earlier today. Listen, like radio hosts all the time make predictions for every division. Uh, you know, it's one of the one of the cliche classic sports radio topics in August. All right, you know, predict the records for this division. Um, I thought it was just kind of funny. Uh, it, it's an easy thing to do to screenshot and be like, ha 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 ha. But uh, the steel—I wasn't really laughing at the Ravens one. Um, I was more laughing at the Steelers. So they said he'd go seven and nine. I think they're seven and oh. Um, so that was our, that's on our worst take segment. Um, and then AP, you also have an, an FS1 announcer and, and Joel Klatt on Michigan.
0: Yeah. John Dunn calls him the,
1: doesn't John Dunn call him the Walmart Herb Street? <laughs> yes, he does. On, Newport man.
0: Beach resident Joel Klatt, by the way. We got to knock that off, man. I liked Joel Cloud a lot, but he went on a coward show and he just completely soiled that program talking about how this was Michigan's best season under Harbaugh. This was, why do we, do, I don't understand why we do this. Prisoners of the moment, we over-sensationalize, over-dramatize one game. Michigan beat a fraudulent Minnesota team in week one by double digits. And all of a sudden the national media who I guess has just been desperate for Harbaugh and Michigan to be good for so long, they jumped the gun. And so you have all these people talking about how great Michigan's going to be. It's week one. And then what happens week two? They lose to the worst Michigan State team in a decade at home in the big house, Rocky Lombardi with 300 passing yards. He spanked them. So that's another terrible take, man. And it's such an avoidable take. I mean, why do we do this? It's it's just hilarious how people jump on these things. like They're grasping for air because they just want these things to happen so bad. It's week one, one game. At least let them play half a schedule before you kind of grease them up. I mean, ideally, you'd want to wait before the Ohio State game, or after the Ohio State game, excuse me. But week one? Hysterical, man. Michigan ain't it.
1: Um. Yeah. Once, once Maryland, who lost by forty in their opener to Northwestern, beat Minnesota on that Friday night. Um. You know, just before the, this this weekend Saturday's games, I knew that Michigan was in trouble. I was like, Oh my god, Maryland just beat Minnesota and dropped forty five on. They couldn't move the ball against Northwestern, and then to his brother, all of a sudden looked like. <clears throat> Uh, a, a fringe all-conference player against Minnesota. I don't know what happened to the Golden Gophers defense, but it is it is a soiled unit speaking of soiled defenses. Um let's see. Uh you got two final worst takes before we finish up with our life advice.
0: I was watching the UNLV Nevada game for god knows whatever reason on halloween night i was flipping between that and one of the 10 halloween movies this one was the one where michael myers gets run down by his sister and his sister chops his head off terrible movie anyway the nevada unlv game at the end you know how we talk about how some of these games and they get out of hand it basically turns into turns into local sports talk radio well one of the color guy on this broadcast was talking about how just to stiff radio he the color guy was talking about how while unlv was getting boat raced by nevada that there was a lot of respect for arroyo around the conference and the nation and the college football community that he can build a program and put together a great offense i'm i'm, I'm sitting there i'm thinking huh w- what the same marcus arroyo who was calling those vanilla plays up at Oregon. With the best quarterback, in, in the one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, and now a quarterback who's absolutely dominating the NFL, nah, it can't be the same dude, right? I heard that take, and I was like, I don't know, man. The, the pistol ain't it. Maybe he'll score a couple of points, but he's probably never going to do anything in the Mountain West. And if he can't do anything in the
1: Mountain West, then where the hell is all this respect coming from? They still run the pistol with like three different quarterbacks for UNLV. I took the under in that game. That was my bet of the weekend. Thank God that I was watching that game and it was, uh, what was it? it? was 17 to six with like a minute and a half left in the first half. And I was like, all right, yep, this looks sweet. And then there were two touchdowns scored in the final, like 90 seconds of the first half. And I was like, Oh, uh Oh. And then, and then it was 37, 19, pretty early into the fourth quarter. Over under was sixty. They're at fifty six. Thank God there were a couple of vintage Arroyo drives in there where they drive the length of the field and take up like six and fourth and six and don't get it and come away with no points. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding for him until he gets if he ever does some some players in there. I, I'm telling you guys, I love I actually legitimately like watching the Mountain West. And there's some good programs in there, and UNLV. The, the the good thing about UNLV is traditionally they've had zero tradition. So if he wins like five games there, people are going to be like, oh, that was a decent season." Um, so he's got that going for him. But I agree, it is that late night FS1 radio. I believe we had Petros Papadakis on the call for that game. The old the guy who used to be on the Fox Sports FSN broadcast back when USC was in its heyday. You would watch USC Fresno State with Petros Papadakis on the color former USC fullback. Um, he has got the, got the super recognizable voice. If you know if you guys know who I'm talking about, but um, man FS1 Night Mountain West football is a I was just I was I was honestly watching that thing and getting some enjoyment out of it. Quite frankly,
0: yeah, some decent entertainment. But that that's it for my worst takes. Man, kind of a mild worst take week, but. Rest assured, there'll be some good ones for next week.
1: All right, our final segment, life advice. I'll, I'll start us off. Folks, super stroke grips in golf are a total game changer. I've been not feeling great about my putter and my putting lately. Super stroke grips are an absolute game changer. They're only about 30 bucks. Go to your local local golf shop and and get fitted for a super stroke grip. You can get either a, a 1.0, 2.0 or 3.0. That's the the grip size in terms of thickness. I, I I'm getting a 2.0. I demoed a bunch this week and I'm going to get a 2.0. 3.0s are like super thick. Um I'm getting a 2.0 and it it I like my golf grip in terms of like where my hands are on my putter. It's pretty relaxed. I put my index finger on my right hand all the way down. This is some serious golf hardo talk. I'm admittedly a huge golf hardo, <laughs> um, but get get yourself a superstroke grip. It'll it'll change your life with regards to the feel for your putter. Even if you have like a shitty putter, the superstroke grip changes the game. Also, get the golf residence cards in your area. I'm sure you guys all have some. I know uh, in Portland, if you're under thirty, you can get a residence card. You can play like a ton of courses around him portland for under 30 bucks it's like 20 bucks for 18 steal of a deal and they're nice courses too um and then uh yeah that's my that's my life advice for the week some golf advice big tony
0: solid i got one i went wine tasting and on a spa weekend with my mom on saturday and sunday in calistoga california great town folks check it out if you haven't And my God, if you haven't had a mud bath yet, 10 out of 10 recommend, I would honestly say it was life changing. I got out of the mud bath and I just felt, I felt like a new man. I felt like someone who didn't watch a ton of shitty football games yesterday. I felt like (laughs) someone who just felt like I had new life, new purpose. Skin was rejuvenated, mind clear, felt like I had a ton of energy ready to conquer the world ready to watch ready to watch some shitty football on Sunday so I, I gotta tell you folks go to your local spa and, and get the big Tony special I, ask for a nice mud bath hot mud 20 minutes promise you'll never feel better than before
1: that. love it is that like I was I was sorry I was googling it is do you like literally get into a bath of mud? Is that what's going on?
0: Butt naked, you get right in there and just submerge in a big tub of, of hot mud that is supposed to cover your entire wait, body. Wait, and
1: butt naked? You didn't even have a speedo on. Na-
0: butt, butt, na- butt, naked, like in porcini's.
1: Wow. Okay. Are there other like bros around there? What's I mean? What's you get your own private little mud bath? How does it work?
0: I mean, I I did. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the same at every spa, but I, I had my own private session.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Mud bath. And then you just uh, lay in there for what? How long? Like 15 minutes or longer? 20 minutes.
0: You get out and then you shower. And then I did another 20 in like a mineral hot springs bathtub. And then I showered after that. And then I had like the cucumber on the eyes. Uh, lavender mist treatment after that on like a massage board and Got to tell you, man. I I got up after that, and I don't have a worry in the world.
1: Wow! God, ah, there you go. It's like that's like when you when you hit the old beaches of of sunny SoCal. All the Excel spreadsheets just leave your mind.
0: Amen, brother. And we'll be there
1: soon. There's no doubt. All right, folks. Well, thank you all for listening. Appreciate. The love as always, Tony in the Field on Twitter, Tony in the Field on Instagram, search us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, appreciate you guys listening. You can also check out our SoundCloud page, Tony in the Field, for our interviews and logged podcasts there. Uh yeah, appreciate you guys. We'll come back later in the week with a Pac-Twelve preview. We got we got the ducks in prime time on Saturday afternoon, evening at 4 30 local. Uh, So we'll give you our big Pac-12 preview later on in the week. Hope you enjoyed the content today. See you guys soon.